Well, good morning, everyone. If you want to just find your seats. Um, just in case you didn't get any outline notes on your way in this morning, if you uh, put your hands up, and one of the stewards will find some notes for you, and you can follow along with uh, this morning's message as we uh, conclude today's series, uh, the I Am series. It's been a great series. We've been looking all about uh, the verses that Jesus uh, says in the Bible where he starts with the words, I am dot, dot, dot. And it's been a great series for a couple of reasons for me. Firstly, we're starting this year with a series that's all about Jesus. And I don't know about you, but most of us here are gathered here today and we come and we choose to be here today because we believe in and we want to learn more about Jesus. And of course, there are so many verses in the Bible that talk about Jesus, that hint of Jesus, that explicitly try and explain who Jesus is. But these seven verses that we've been looking at in this series are a bit special because these are Jesus' own words. These are who he says he is. So I think we should take special notice of what he says when he says who he is. The second reason uh, this series has been so memorable, um, at least for me, is uh, the competitive nature of the sermon illustrations that have accompanied uh, the messages over the last six weeks. I'm sure you'll agree uh, there's been a great degree of variance in the quality of these illustrations. Now, we started off quite tamely uh, when Jeff started the series talking about I am the light of the world. And he, he brought a, a searchlight, didn't he? And we turned all the lights off, and you, it was kind of an illustration that no matter how dark it is, the light is always visible. And, uh, you know, that's great because it's so effective, it's so clear, but it was quite simple. Things quickly escalated from there. And if you've been coming along the last six weeks, you'll have known it, won't, it wasn't long until we had a whole team of stage managers uh, on and off stage, uh, erecting play pens, bringing on ladders. And we even had uh, a team of undertakers, make would-be undertakers, bringing in a coffin uh, to illustrate Steve's message. But I thought today I would do whoever's preaching next week a massive favor. I'm going to call a truce on the illustrations. I can say that's been mixed, that, that's been received with mixed rea reaction there. I, mean, I see some of you are very disappointed with that. And if it's too much for you to bear, I will make one concession because if you can't manage without any visual aid at all, as we read this next passage about Jesus, I am the vine, we'll put up one picture behind me of uh, one grape. So if you really are a visual learner and you cannot do without an illustration, then just focus on this image as we read today's passage. We're reading from John 15. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John 15. We're going to read from verse 1 through verse 17. It's quite a long passage, but don't worry. If you switch off, you've got the grape. So, John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And then he goes on and says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command to you is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his father's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. So I made my jokes about visual aids, and I think the, the grapes probably run its course now. You can, we can take the grape off the screen. Um, but Jesus clearly understood the importance of imagery. Through all the verses we've been looking at uh, over this series, we can see that Jesus often uses a picture or an image to explain uh, some deeper meaning. Or he'll tell a story. If you look at some of his other teaching, he's very good at telling a story that has a hidden meaning, something so that we can dig out of it, a sort of special truth. And this is no different. This particular image of the vine or a vineyard was about as down to earth as you could get for the time and place in which Jesus found himself. There are over 55 verses in the Bible that are all about vines, vineyards, or fruit of the vines. And Jesus uses this particular analogy, the vine or the vineyard, in at least three different contexts when he's trying to convey some teaching. It was just something that everyone could understand. It was part of their everyday culture. Now, I don't know what it would be today if Jesus was here and he was trying to deliver the same message. Maybe he would use something else. But at least I think the vine is a timeless analogy. I think we can all understand what it means to have a vine. Or in our climate, we consider it to be a tree that bears fruit and has branches. Now, I've got a confession to make. I hate gardening. I hate gardening. Now, I love having a nice garden. I'm just not willing to put the effort in to get one. Now, I think it's probably because I have a very low tolerance for repetitive tasks. So, in not very long, a few days or a few weeks, uh, it's going to be officially the end of winter and the start of spring. It doesn't feel like it this morning. It's been quite cold this morning, but soon it will be the start of spring. And I'm going to be really honest with you this morning. I'm not looking forward to the start of spring for two reasons. One, the clocks go forward, so I lose an hour of sleep. And two, I'm going to have to mow the lawn. I hate mowing the lawn. Mowing the lawn is the worst job in the world, in my view. If I could put one chore into room 101, it would be mowing the lawn. I think it's there to test my character. I think this job is there to test anyone's character. You see, I'll mow the lawn on a Saturday, and then I'll come to church on a Sunday, and I'll feel good about myself because I mowed the lawn. But then all week, I'll leave my house, and I'll walk past my lawn, and it's there, and I feel like it's mocking me. I feel if it could speak, it would say something like this. Six days, you'll be back. It's like it's trying extra hard to grow just to spite me. And every week, it's there. And every week, I know it. And every week, it comes back. 
I just hate gardening. But my wife and I have recently had a baby, and we've, um, we made a decision early on as parents that we really wanted to enjoy every step of the journey. We didn't want to wish any of it away. We didn't want to be parents that couldn't wait for the next thing. But occasionally, we'll find ourselves saying things like, oh, it's going to be so lovely, isn't it, when, when she can talk, our little girl. She can explain to us what's going on in her head. You know, she can maybe get a little bit less frustrated. We can talk to her about things, and she can tell us what she thinks. That's going to be so lovely. Or maybe um, we'll say something like, oh, it's going to be so great when she can walk and run around, and we can take her to the park, and we can play football together. It's going to be so much fun. But there's one thing that I really cannot wait for, and that's when she's old enough to mow the lawn. <laughs> that really cannot come soon enough. But whether you're a green-fingered gardening expert, maybe you love mowing the lawn, you sit atop your like, sit-on mower, and you ride around your palatial garden, getting it all lovely and looks like a Wimbledon tennis court, or whether you're like me, and it's the worst job in the world, I think we can all learn something from this image of the vine and the branches. And I just want to draw out four things that I think we can learn as followers of Jesus from this image when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. The first one's this. I think it reminds us of our position in him. I think we can learn something about our place in the world and the grand scheme of things from this image of the vine and the branches. And I think what we can learn might fly in the face of modern culture and modern viewpoints. Today's culture, perhaps more than ever, I, th I think could be argued as being uh, quite self-centered. Many of you here will have heard a phrase, I'm sure, something like, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, or you've got to look after number one, because who else will? Or we're encouraged that you've got to be a self-made man or woman, or we're to be masters of our own destiny. And I think all these sayings and more just point to one attitude, that we are the center of the universe, that we are the center of our universe. It's so easy for us to believe that we are the center of our universe, that our lives are built around our own convenience and our own enjoyment. And I'm not saying that life shouldn't be enjoyable. Don't get me wrong, I think life should be enjoyed. But we were created for something far greater than our own convenience and our own enjoyment. You see, we believe that we were created by God and that when God created us, he created us in his image, and he is infinite, and he is outside of time. And he created us with a desire to do more with our lives than what we can do just in the time we're here. That we created us with a desire to have an impact beyond the life we live on this earth. The Bible puts it this way. It says that he placed eternity inside the human heart. In other words, we were created for more than just this life. We were created for more than just ourselves. And I think we can learn a little bit from these verses that Jesus says in the book of John uh, about a different model, perhaps a more appropriate model. And if we read verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And then we move on to verse 5, he continues, and he repeats himself. He says, I am the vine, but then he says, you are the branches. So altogether, we have... Jesus is the vine, the Father is the gardener, and we are the branches. In other words, God is at the center, God is in control, 
and we are peripheral to him. And I think that this is often the opposite of what the world will tell us. The world will tell us we're in control. We're at the center. Live for yourself. Everything else and everyone else is peripheral to us. But living this way can never truly satisfy that eternal desire inside of us because we were created for more than just ourselves. It's simply true that we are not the center of our universe, let alone the universe. But there's good news. None of that means at all that you are inconsequential or insignificant in the eyes of God. Quite the opposite. Despite the enormity and magnitude and magnificence of our God and how tiny we are in comparison and how short the life we have on this earth is, he has a plan for you and he has a purpose for your life. He cares for you. You see, God has a plan that's bigger than us, but we have a part to play. And that's the second thing I think we can learn from this image of the vine and the branches, that it reminds us that our purpose is for him. If we believe that we were created for a greater purpose than ourselves, then the next question is surely, what is that purpose? What is that purpose? Well, if we read verse 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. There's a reminder again about the order of things, the right positioning. We are not the center. We are not in control. But then he says, and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I think Jesus is pretty clear here in outlining one of life's purposes that we should have as a follower of him. To bear fruit. To be fruitful. And to bear fruit that will last. What is this fruit? The fruit I think he's talking about, I believe, is a transformed life as a result of knowing him and becoming more like him. We read in the Bible um, what this fruit of a transformed life looks like. In a letter from Paul to one of the early churches, he writes of what he called the fruit of the Spirit. If you've been around a while, you'll have heard about the fruit of the Spirit. There are basically nine character traits that we could expect to grow in as a result of knowing and becoming more like Jesus. They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice how they're called the fruit of the Spirit. Singular. Not the fruits of the Spirit. And I think that's important because it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. We can't just choose the ones that come naturally to us. If we are truly growing spiritually and we're becoming more like the person of Jesus, we should be growing in all of these areas. This is the fruit of the Spirit. is all nine of these things, and we should be expecting to grow in these areas. But for me, the fruit shouldn't just be a transformed life for us. It should be a life that transforms others. We, have a li we all have an impact on the people around us, don't we? For better or for worse. And I think as those, who, those people who know and follow Jesus, our mandate, our primary mission, is to help other people find and follow him too. You see, God's not a miser. He's not stingy. He doesn't want anyone to be excluded. He doesn't want anyone to miss out on the opportunity of coming to know him. Now, here's the exciting bit. We... You and me are plan A. 
We are plan A. We're not a backup plan. We are not the B team. We have a vital part to play in God's master plan. Ephesians 3 says this. His intent was that now through the church, that's through people like you, people like me, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. It's through people like you and people like me that others will hear about Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that God has to work through us like he's somehow limited by what we could do. We, of course, serve an all-powerful and all-knowing God, and he doesn't need us to get stuff done. But I'm really grateful and I'm convinced that he does choose us to get stuff done. We are his primary method of getting stuff done. And I think this, we can see this in the image of the vine. Because it's obvious that a branch can't produce fruit on its own. But perhaps what's less obvious is that the vine will not produce fruit without branches. If we look at any plant, it's very rare that the fruit will appear on the core, on the trunk, on the vine itself. The fruit appears on the branches. One commentary puts it like this. On earth, the vine reveals itself through the branches and thus conceals itself behind them. And thus conceals itself behind them. You see, we are the Jesus that people will see. When looking from the outside at anything, only the external thing is visible. Sometimes what's on the inside is left as a mystery. And so it should be with us. The people we spend time with, the people we interact with, should notice something different about us. Something is otherworldly almost. That we have something different about us, a different purpose, a different sense of direction, a different assurance. And they should be interested. We should be people who leave others thinking, I don't know what they've got, but I want it. And then it's our job to help them learn and to reveal what's on the inside, which is, of course, Jesus. And as the branch extends the reach of a vine, I think this is our primary purpose, that we should extend the reach of Jesus. And that's what I believe it means for us to be fruitful. The third thing I think we can learn from this is to remind ourselves that our provision is from him. This is, of course, the other side of that coin. If the branches are needed to bear fruit, it's, of course, true, though, that the branches cannot provide fruit on their own, separated from the vine or from the trunk. Verses 4 and 5 put it pretty, cl- pretty plainly. It says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then he repeats himself again and says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. The purpose set before us is significant. At C3, it's our mission statement to reach and shape a generation with the message and cause of Christ. Now, that sounds like quite a big deal. And you'd be forgiven for thinking that sounds like quite a daunting task, because it is. But the good news is, This is not a solo mission. We are not expected to do this on our own. This is a co-mission. We are in a partnership with Jesus, and we are not left to go it alone. Following Jesus should never be a do-it-yourself job. We are not called to any kind of DIY faith. On the subject of DIY, I hate mowing the lawn, but I don't mind DIY. I quite like doing odd jobs. 
my wife tells me that that means I only do every other job that she asks me to do. But I'm a big fan of odd jobs in the house. I think it's because unlike the lawn, there's some element of reward in it. You know, you mow the lawn one week, it's back the next week, you mow it that week, it's back the next week, and you mow it again. But DIY, you do a job, and often the job's done. You don't have to do it again. You've got something to show for it. Or, if it's gone badly, you've got something you want to hide, which is often the case for me. Now, I never said how good the job would be, and that's the double-edged sword of DIY, really. By very definition, you're doing something you don't have the specialist skills to do. You're not doing something you've necessarily been trained to do, and you're definitely not doing something that you spend all day, every day doing. It's not your area of expertise. And this tends to mean that you make mistakes. Now, when I do DIY, I always make mistakes. But this is the problem for me, because I like mistakes. You never learn anything without mistakes. But the problem is with these DIY jobs is it's so long since you have to do it, since you did it last time, or it's so long before you do it again, that you've forgotten all the mistakes you made last time. And so if you're lucky, you end up with a job that's almost as good as last time. And if you're unlucky, it's twice as bad. And that's basically what all my DIY looks like. And there's a technical term for this. It's called a bodge job. It's a job that showcases all your mistakes. And to be honest, I'm responsible for many bodge jobs. We have a rule in our house uh, when I do DIY. I like to set the expectation up front. We call it the two meter rule. Um, if it looks good from two meters, it's a good job. So if you come around our house for coffee or for dinner, please do not get two meters, any closer than two meters to anything in our house. You will be sorely disappointed. But I thought I'd like to comfort myself as I was preparing this message. I thought, I can't be the worst person at DIY. So I thought I'd just scour the internet for some other bodge jobs to perhaps make myself feel better. And I, I did make myself feel better, to be honest. I found some pictures I'm going to share with you now. I'd like to say that, I have, that none of this is my own work, I'm very glad to say. Um, but perhaps you can enjoy some of these. The first one here, this person clearly needs to control three lights. But you know, no triple switch, who cares? Use three single switches. What could possibly go wrong? And then the next one, if you can't spot what's wrong with this, don't come and do work at my house. <laughs> There's clearly nothing but decorative value in these drawers. And then this one, I quite like, actually. I think this repair job looked quite good on paper. And then finally, this one. If you can't fix it with duct tape, you're not using enough duct tape. So this is all fun, but what's the point? What point is there in us talking about these? Well, I would say this. A bodge job is usually the result of lack of specialist help. Some jobs just require a specialist. There are so many jobs I've done in the past that if I'd have sought a specialist, they would have been done twice as quick or twice as well, or maybe both. And I think that's the same thing when it comes to us fulfilling our purpose in Jesus. We are not expected to make a bodge job. We are not expected to do it on our own. We have the resources of a specialist. We should be reliant on Jesus. And I say should there because it is, of course, a choice. I can choose to get specialist help, or I can go it alone. I can do it myself. And the same is true in life. We can choose to rely on Jesus, and as this passage puts it, remain in him, or I can choose to go it alone. I can choose to do stuff in my own strength and strive to get the job done. 
But we need to be wary of this because Jesus is pretty clear when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I read this and I thought, well, what does Jesus mean here? Does he really mean we are incapable of doing anything on our own? What about all these people who seem to do pretty well for themselves, have a great world impact, and they've never even yet stopped and consider the existence of Jesus or God or the impact that would have on their life? Does he really mean we can't do anything? Well, I think what he's really trying to say here is you won't do anything of eternal value without God. The fruit of your life, might, when viewed through the lens of eternity, might look a bit different. Unless we start to remain in him and rely on him and start to grow and understand him a bit more, then it's only then that the desires of our heart start to line up with the desires of his heart. And the stuff we want to do and the stuff we do do will then have lasting impact because we will be reaching people and people have eternal value. And that's the fruit that will last in the light of eternity. Fourthly, and I'll close with this as the musicians join me back on stage, I think this image of the vine teaches us about our perspective of him, our perspective of Jesus. Did you know there are two kinds of branch? I can see that you know, it's a fresh revelation for many of you. This is a new and exciting piece of information. What will he tell me next? Um, well, there are two kinds of branch. There are twigs and there are boughs. Now, a branch is a twig if it is indirectly connected to the trunk, or in our case, the vine, via another branch. And a branch is a bough if it is connected to the trunk directly. That is, it's a primary branch. And I know you're wondering, great, what does that have to do with Jesus? But if you get just one thing, if you remember just one thing from this morning, I would please, please, please let it be this encouragement to you. Be a bough, don't be a twig. When it comes to being connected to Jesus, be a bough, not a twig. You see, a branch that's connected directly to the vine is stronger and safer than any branch that's connected via another branch. A bough has such strength, it can take the weight and pressure of anything that comes to it. But a twig is in a dangerous position. It can easily break off. And also, as well as being entirely reliant on the vine as a twig for its life and its sustenance, it's in a dangerous position because it's entirely reliant on the other branch to which it's connected. Let's say the branch it's connected to fails or falls or snaps. So does the twig. When the bough breaks, it's not just that branch that falls. All the other branches that are connected to it also fall. But a direct connection to Jesus, a bough-like connection, provides assurance and security. Verse 15, Jesus says this, I, know no, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Notice here what Jesus calls his followers. Friends. Now notice what he doesn't call his followers. He doesn't call them friends of friends or acquaintances. And this is key for us 
not only if we want to be fruitful, but also because a direct connection to the vine, a direct connection to Jesus, will bring life and a fullness of life that we cannot find anywhere else. But an indirect connection to Jesus is like having him as a friend of a friend. It's like knowing a lot about him, but not really knowing him personally. It's like being a twig and not a bough. And we miss out on so much when we are not a bough. For example, if we are only indirectly connected to him, everything we get from him must come through someone else. We here believe that God wants to have a personal relationship with you and that he wants to be an active part of your life and reveal himself to you personally. But how can he do that? If, you, if everything you hear from him and the only way you can hear from him is through other people. And that's why Sundays will never be enough. Because I can stand here and talk about what God's revealed to me through the, the words that we're looking at today, but he wants to reveal so much more to you. And what he wants to reveal to you will be different from what he wants to reveal to me. And that's why it's only when we devote personal time to developing our relationship with God that we will truly grow spiritually. For each bough branch, the point at which it connects to the vine is obviously unique. If they're all connected to the same thing, they must all be connected at a different point. And that's the beauty in that because it means that everyone gets a different perspective. Your perspective of Jesus will be different from my perspective of Jesus. You can read the same passage as me and you might get a hundred different things. And that's the beauty of it. He wants to reveal himself to you personally and he wants to give you a fresh revelation. We're drawing to a close now and the musicians are going to lead us in a final song of worship. But before they do, I want to take this opportunity to ask us a couple of questions. Is my connection to Jesus like a bow or is it like a twig? Can I call Jesus my friend or is he just a friend of a friend? Maybe you're here today and if you're honest, you're only really here because of somebody else. I want to say there's no shame in that. We were all once here because of somebody else. Almost everybody here first came to a church settings like this or somewhere else because of somebody else. Maybe you're exploring the Christian faith and you've yet to really make that choice yourself. You've yet to really make it your connection. Well, you can. You can call Jesus friend today, no longer just a friend of a friend. Or maybe you've been on this journey a long time but as I've been talking about these branches, you feel that maybe your connection to Jesus is not a direct one. Maybe you do and say all the right things on the outside, but when you look on the inside, you feel like your connection to God is not strong, it's not secure. Maybe it's the faith of those people around you that really sustains your own walk. The faith of a family member or the faith of a close friend. Well, let me encourage you again this morning. Put your primary trust in Jesus. Put your primary faith in Jesus because he really is the only one that's unfailing. We are all fallible here in this room, but Jesus will never fail. Make it your decision, your connection. You can have a personal relationship with him and he will reveal stuff to you that he won't reveal to you through some other people. We can learn so much through the what he reveals to other people. And that's the beauty of the fact that we've all got a unique perspective. But he wants to reveal something to you, for you. 
Now I just want to take the last minutes we have here to offer you the chance to respond this morning. If you feel like you want to have a deeper, stronger, and maybe more direct connection with Jesus this morning, you can. Maybe you want to become more reliant on him and dependent on him rather than dependent on the faith of those people around you. Well, you can. Or maybe you want to root yourself in him for the first time. You want to make a decision today to say, oh, well, I no longer want to call Jesus just a friend of a friend. I want to call him a friend for the first time. Well, I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment and all it takes is for you to join with me in that prayer. For you to uh, really uh, pray those words as we all pray them together and, and mean them and have a faith. And we're all going to pray with you as a church in a moment. And after we've prayed while every head's bowed, if you meant those words, if you pray those prayers with a faith and you decide today you want to make a new start, a fresh change, you want to make a new commitment to making Jesus a direct connection for you, then God will know that you did that. But so that I know and so that we can provide you with some resources and support you in that new decision, I'm going to ask that you do something really bold after we've prayed this and that's just to identify yourself by raising your hand and saying, that's me. I want to connect to Jesus directly this morning, either again or for the first time. Let's pray. Pray these words with me. Lord Jesus, I realize I need you. Today I choose to follow you. To put my faith in you. To not rely on those around me. But accept you on a personal level. As Lord and leader of my life. Thank you for dying for me so that I can call you friend. Thank you for accepting me now. In your name I pray. Amen. Now with every head bow, if you prayed that prayer this morning, either for the first time or you want to say, I want to make a fresh start, I want to be more connected than ever before, would you just raise your hand? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a great decision to do this. Is there anybody else? I want to give a couple more moments. Thank you. Thank you. This could be the best decision you could ever make, to choose to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Father God, I thank you for those people this morning who have chosen to reach out to you, Lord. I pray that you would bless them, Lord. I pray that you would uh, be a strong comfort to them, Lord. I thank you that as they decide to root themselves in you personally, Lord, and not rely on others, that you would grow them, Lord, and the fruit that they would bear would be fruit that would last. I pray that they would not only have a massively transformed life as a consequence of today, but they would go out of here and they would transform the lives of others for your glory and your honor.